The podcast episode contains discussions of domestic violence and its effect on mental health. The content may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, particularly those who have experienced or are currently experiencing domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. If you are or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please seek help from a qualified professional or domestic violence hotline. York University recognizes that many indigenous nations have long-standing relationships with the territories upon which York University campuses are located that precede the establishment of York University. York University acknowledges its presence on the traditional territory of many indigenous nations. The area known as Tuckeronto has been taken care of by the Anishinaabek Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Huron-Wendat. It is now home to many First Nation, Inuit, and Métis communities. We acknowledge the current treaty holders, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This territory is subject of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant an agreement to peacefully share and care for the Great Lakes region. Good afternoon. Welcome to our first episode of our podcast, Call Back Anytime, brought to you by the students of the Capstone class at York University. My name is Celine Ausran, and I'm also joined by my co-host, Ashnet Mida. I would like to give a warm welcome to our guest, Dr. Roz Roach, the founder and the executive director of Dr. Roz Healing Place, a center for empowerment and healing for women and children, victims and survivors of domestic violence. Dr. Roz Healing Place provides emergency crisis and care to those who identify as women children, and youth emerging from abusive relationships. Dr. Ra's Healing Place provides access to a safe living environment conducive to health and wellness. Dr. Ra's is the first Black woman in Canada to build a center for abused women and children. Dr. Ra's first I want to thank you for taking the time today to be a part of this podcast. I want to emphasize first Black woman, and we are in Black History Month. So yes, what a are. pleasure to yes. have you on. So well, welcome, Dr. Ross. Thank you for creating this space for me. Thank you very much. Now I'll have uh, Ashnet. She will continue from here. Okay, so we have some statistics from an article on Domestic Abuse Statistics Canada from September 2022. According to the Canadian Centre for Justice and Community Safety Statistics, there were 358,000 victims of police-reported violence in the country last 2019. Um, here are some of the findings from the article. Three out of ten victims um, were abused by an intimate partner. That could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, spouse, or an ex. 53% of the individuals of the violence were female. Violence against women increased from 44 to 14.8% during the lockdown. And data shows that women ages 15 to 19 experience some, of, some form of abuse in their lifetime. What are your thoughts on these statistics? Well. The stats are real and it's out there, but the stats are not always pure and clean. Partly because only 30 or 35% of women who have experienced violence will report. 
it is said that two, one in three women have experienced some form of violence in their lifetime. But one in three is who, those are the, those are the numbers that are reporting. But a large percentage of women who experience violence or experience abuse do not report. So those stats are great for the document, but it's not great for the reality. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, about one in five women leave the residential facility for abuse victims and return to live with their abuser. Why do you think that individuals who experience domestic violence choose to stay with their abusers? Well, there are hundreds of reasons, and I, I can take a day for the full workshop just to answer that thesis question. Mm-hmm. Women in abusive relationship for a lot of reasons, yeah. and what I for me is sometimes women come to this country and they don't have support systems in place. They cannot speak the language. They don't have family and friends, and they are left in an abusive situation. Sometimes women are afraid of losing their housing because often the abuser is the one who's the breadwinner and responsible for the rent and the housing. Because when women leave abusive situation, they become poorer and poorer and poorer, partly because they leave everything behind. Women stay in abusive situations because they're often threatened by the abuser mm-hmm. and they are believe the abuser would find them and hurt them even more or even kill them, which is what mm-hmm. is a common theme for women who are murdered when they leave the abusive situation. Women stay in abusive situation because they often get confused and get concerned about their children. Often mm-hmm. I would hear women say, um, I don't want to take them away from their father. Mm-hmm. And the struggle between, between custody and all, they're afraid of losing their children. So they stay in abusive situation. Women stay in abusive situation because the, the, the abuser often is a financial person and he runs the show. He yeah. runs the control. He runs, you know. Women stay in abusive situation because women is in many cultures, almost all cultures, get married and they would hear things like, till death do you part. And mm-hmm. when women that um, they believe in their vows, they believe in their religious beliefs and systems, and they, they do feel that if they, they took a vow, they have to live it through. So they will live through that because they took a vow saying till death do a spot. Women stay in abusive situation because of the pressures of society, where women feel that they need to have a man to find a sense of self and identity. Because when women are getting older and they're married and have children, they get a lot of pressure from family members, mm-hmm. from other women, from friends, you know. And so they stay just for the status of society. Women stay in abusive situation because they don't want to be ostracized by their families. Yeah. In some cultures, the mother and the, the brothers and the fathers say, you made a choice, so stick it out. And these are things that I hear all the time. I hear about it partly because, hold on for a moment, as a therapist, women will come share their pain with me in privacy, confidentiality, and they would say to me, you are the only one I'm telling. I will not tell my mother, I will not tell my friends, I will not tell my employer, because they know when they tell it to me, it's contained and it's preserved. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that you have that you pointed out to me, I read those stats all the time and I put I put a thought in my head. What about the, the 70% of women who don't report? Yeah. yeah. What is documented is those who report. And keep in mind that only about 35% of women who experience some form of violence, sexual mm-hmm. violence, or whatever type of violence it is, they don't share that. Yeah. And, and, and stay in an abusive situation because they don't want to get the police involved. Because a lot of women, particularly Black women and women of color, are afraid to report their man. Yeah. Because of the violence that they think or the, 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 the mistreatment that they think the, mm-hmm. the man would get from the police and the police. So they tolerate and they tell me that. Yeah. I don't want the police to come and arrest my man because I'm afraid it would hurt him if he's hurting me. So they're afraid of these systems. So as I said in the beginning, I can go on and on and on. It's an all-day workshop. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because where are they going to go? There's no housing for them. Housing in our city is extremely expensive. And mm-hmm. they may feel that 
you know, that if they stay, they don't have to deal with that situation. Women often do not want to go to shelters, even if we don't call ourselves a shelter. Yeah. We identify as a center for healing and empowerment of women. Doing the work we need to do to help women move through their pain and their trauma, which is a lifetime trauma, but we try to do what we can in the crisis situation to get them back on their feet, to give them some sense of self, sense of self, to give them options they can choose from to make decisions for their lives and the lives of their children, to get them back in a place where they can take their life back and become more positive members of society. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and all true. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, do you think there are some contributing factors to domestic violence? Well, the factors are um, when we talk about domestic violence, we are actually talking about violence inflicted on women perpetuated by men mm-hmm. uh, overall. Yeah. Um, and men being the patriarchal society and, the, and it seemed to be the higher level of society with power and control. And regardless of what re- what religion you're from, or what race you're from, what culture you're from, what country you're from, we know that violence against women crosses all, all these boundaries. Yeah. It, it crosses all socioeconomic groups, all class, all race, all color, all creed, all religion, all, all, yeah, all cultures. There is, this is not an issue just that affects one type of woman or, you know, it crosses all levels of society. Mm-hmm. So the factors are men who believe and think or feel that mm-hmm. they are, that he's a man, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, tend to feel that they control women and when they get married, in, and particularly in particular cultures, mm-hmm. that when they get married, that the woman becomes his property. Yeah. He, he's, his ownership that a woman becomes his own so he can rape her anytime that she says no you know because that's my property that's my wife and this concept of wife and husband in a in a in a true sense really give power to one side and sort of passivity to another side mm-hmm. which is that's my woman and often yeah. we hear i can do as i please if the if I want to have sex and she doesn't. I have right to penetrate her if she says no. You know, mm-hmm. she's mine. So there's, and you see it more and more in, in cultures, in particular cultures. Yeah. And women tend to believe that too because they're enculturated by their, by their religion, enculturated by their culture, enculturated by the, the society that they grew up in and really believe that. Yeah. And when they come to the healing place and they are told, no, 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 you know, you, that can happen, that is rape, they are shocked to hear the word. Yeah. They're surprised so that you can be raped in a marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from India and from a, you know, very cultural society, I've seen that firsthand that, you know, men uh men think of their wives as a property. Yeah, so that's well said. And but um, not any of it, the community, the society, yeah. the things of it that way as well and I don't know that we are putting on a huge theater production Mm -hmm. um, to go on stage on July the 8th at the Agacon and we are actually actually telling a story on stage using music and dance and theater which I would like you all to be involved in about yes about a story of a woman who came from that country that you just mentioned came to Canada went through an abuse with her husband. She saw the news, CBC news, where a, a man killed his wife and two, two sons, and she ran. She knew no one in this country. She knew no, she did not have the language. She had no friends. The, the man actually told her, the abuser told her that she could only call her family in, in her home country once a month for 15 minutes. So she would call her papa and her mama, and she would lie to them, tell them how happy she is in Canada which in fact, she was just abusing her. She was not allowed to go anywhere by herself. She, he would do take her wherever she goes. He had to be there, which is the control issue. Mm-hmm. And then one day she saw the story on, on the news, at the CDC news at 6 p.m., and she grabbed her son and she ran. She mm-hmm. walked in the way two hours. She yeah. saw a passerby who asked her who she asked, 
for the nearest police station. The passerby took her to doctor as to the police station, and mm -hmm. the police brought her to the healing place. Okay. When she came to Dr. Rose's healing place, she met a warrior, which is me. And, and she told her story to the warrior. The warrior told her that she had options, that she, she's not deserving. She's not, she does not deserve to be treated like that, that we will care for her. We'll mm -hmm. get her housing. We'll, we'll get her um, back into school. We'll give her a life. Then she went into therapy, which is something she had never heard of before because back home, there was no such thing for her. Yeah. She couldn't understand how she can heal using music and dance and talking. Mm -hmm. And in therapy, she learned many things. Finally, she got housing. Mm -hmm. She went, she got the keys, it was approved. She went to a housing um, to get to, to a house to get it set up, to get the keys and to get it set up. And the landlord, when he saw that she was a woman of color, he told her it was taken. She oh came back to the, to the warrior, and the warrior then identified that as racism. Yeah. She continued to work with the warrior and she shared with the warrior that each time he beats her, he would penetrate her even, even when she says no. Oh God. She then realized in the therapy that that was rape. Mm. And she could not understand how could your husband rape you. Even if I'm saying no, and I'm saying I'm on my period, I'm saying my head is hurting, he still penetrates me after he beats me. And then he tells me, you made me do it. Mm -hmm. Tell the woman, if you did not, if you had cooked my food on time, if you had kept it warm, if you had done this, I would not have beaten you. And she began to believe that she was doing everything wrong. And she was looking at how could I do it right to please him? So she continued to work in therapy with the warrior. And she then began to lose her faith. She began to ask the question, why? Why me, God? Why am I suffering like this? What did I do? So she began to ask and doubt her own faith. She continued therapy. And in therapy, she realized that she had to go through some changes. She had to work through her trauma. She had to work through her pain. So she did that and she went through changes where she started cleansing and, and detoxifying and getting rid of negative energy and negative thoughts mm -hmm. and becoming a healthier being. And mm -hmm. after her therapy, she had a huge celebration. She wanted to be a warrior. She became a warrior and she began to help other women who are going through the similar things. I want you all to be sure that you come to the production, tickets are on sale. And it's in July 8th, block your calendar. <laughs> where, we'll be, where we'll be opening Sisters Calling at the Aga Khan Museum. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Roz, um, before Ash continues, um, you talked, uh, there were some key points, and I, I just want to go back to it because as Ash is saying it's a lot, right? And we read journal articles. We listen to the news. We listen to podcasts. We listen to survivor's story. But there's a deeper issue at hand. And I'm hearing the, the issues that we even research. We're talking about economic issues, social issues, mental issues. and you said something about this different communities, different cultures. You talked about religion. Would you say that there are specific communities that are more impacted than others? I don't want to, I don't feel safe doing that. And the reason why I don't feel safe doing that, because we see our new communities. I see our new communities. I've been doing this work for 44 years, so it's not a new piece of work for me. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing it throughout the country, throughout the province, and throughout the world. And different, com different communities and different religious communities are more in your face with it, um, because it's written here and it's written there, and uh, everyone believes it. But that does not mean that there are other communities that not that is not so in your face, that don't go through the same thing in silence. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are communities that have traveled the world and worked in different parts of the world. And 
for example, I did a lot of work in West Africa, Liberia, and there was a strong belief that rape, every, every woman said they got raped at some point, except myself and my, my staff who was working with me in that land. Even the president of the country publicly said she was raped at some point. So there's, there's such openness and comfort with it, with this kind of abuse, mm -hmm. this type of violence. But here in Canada, we have safety nets and we have laws and legislation that would follow through. But this does not mean that women are protected completely and are safe from these, this form of violence. Yeah. Because men do not, when women move from one space to another space, they bring their baggage with them, their belief systems with them. They don't leave it behind when they migrate. Mm -hmm. So you would see it very blatantly around you, and I do, but it doesn't mean that here in the Western world it's any easier because yeah. it's so blatant when they bring it. Here in the Western world, women who are born in this society, they, tend, they know how to contain it, how to hide it. They also know how to go for support when they need support. They also know if they're running from an abusive situation. And a lot of times they don't go to a shelter. They go to auntie or uncle or neighbor or friend or hotel. They don't get them to document them. Yeah. And a lot of women who have economic um, support, they will go into therapy and spend time with someone like me. Yeah. You don't hear about those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for answering that question. So let's talk a little bit about COVID-19 and domestic violence. You know, statistics show during COVID-19 pandemic, domestic violence increased. There could be different factors contributing to this, like unemployment, lockdown, online learning, social distancing. So tell us a little bit about your experience during this time and what are some of the important lessons that you learned during the pandemic? Well, I'll tell you my take, which is always contrary to the researchers' take. Okay. My take? 19 is that that abuse was always there. It did not just happen because of COVID-19. Now, how you come to the conclusion that the, the, the violence has increased is because there's much more reporting. And much more reporting, partly because of a neighbor would be home too, a neighbor hear the loudness and the neighbor calls the police. Yeah. Or because, you know, the family might be living in a small space and the abuser is there 24 hours and so is the partner. And it happens. But these are things that are happening before COVID. So let's not blame COVID for everything that happened to us. Yeah. The, uh, begin to abuse your partner. You can say, I was stressed. I'm unemployed. I did virtual meetings. All these are stressors. Mm -hmm. If you are not an abuser, you would not abuse. All those excuses and the rationalization that we, as you know, academians, we put in place to blame it on COVID, mm -hmm. I would challenge you. And I would say the abuser didn't just happen to be an abuser because of COVID, because he was locked down in a house with his wife for, for, yeah. for day after day. That was always in him. Because if the stresses of life, if your boss uh, has fired you, why don't you go beat up your boss? Why come and beat up your wife? Yeah. Let's, let's, be, let's just be provocative in the conversation. Yeah. The stresses of life, why are you directing that on the one who cares for you, loves you, give you the good sex, have the babies, make sure everything is managed at home. Why is it it's the loved one who gets the abuse if, you're, if you have stress in your life? Yeah. So I conclude that the abuser has always been an abuser. He didn't just become an abuser because of COVID-19. The abuser has always been using these ways of dealing with his stress and projecting and displacing these feelings onto the one he's closest to. Yeah. Which is often the case. Yeah. Men pretend to hurt the person they're closest to. So I challenged men and I said, okay, you were stressed. Your boss, you lost your job. You were stressed. Why you went and beat your wife? Why didn't you beat the boss who, who fired you? Yeah. So COVID is, is the, the blaming of COVID for me is just another academic, another way of excusing and, looking at reasons why abuse went up. These abuses were always existing. They are not coming to the surface because maybe someone called the police and it's further documented, or maybe, you know, the woman herself couldn't take the, the frequency of it. So she, whatever she did, or the children, mm -hmm. you know, with their teacher and their teacher called the CAS, and, you know, and that's how it goes. But if a man is abusing his wife, he has always been an abuser. 
Well, thank you so much for that. Um, so now let's touch a little bit based on the relationship between domestic violence and mental health. Um, like you mentioned that you provide therapy as well. Um, yes. So different different forms of healing for the pain and the trauma caused by violence. Okay. How would you describe the relationship between domestic violence and mental health? I go back to a similar thought that comes to mind for me, that mental health, it's so easy to when an abuser is abusing. Mm-hmm. Abuse, violence against women is a control issue. It's actually not a mental health issue in my mind. It's a control, it's a power and control issue. There are 90% of people who have mental health issues do not abuse. Once we get that clear, we'll be able to make the differentiation between mental health and violence. And you know, so often I would hear people say mm-hmm. things like, oh, he did this and he did that. He is, you know, maybe he was mental. And you know, mental health is important and 90% of people are mentally challenged, but they don't abuse. Just yeah. like a lot of poor people are poor, but they don't steal. Mm-hmm. So we are always looking for I find for reasoning and rationalization of why people behave the way they behave. And um, violence against women and uh, domestic violence and family violence is a power and control issue. It's less of a mental health issue in my mind. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for your take and thank you so much for, you know, talking with me. I'm going to pass it on to Celine now. Thank you, Ash. Dr. Roz, you have provided a lot of intake and I would say a different perspective as a person in listening and also as a student. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, that insight on COVID-19 that you mentioned about the abuser has always been an abuser. We look at the stats. We look at it increase from 4.4% to 14.8%. And we're saying, yes, there are factors that contributed, whether it's unemployment, social distancing, online. But you have allowed us to see your insight from a different perspective, right? So that is such, you know, an enlightenment. Before I go on to our main goal, our main focus. Um, And I'll come back to that sisters in calling because that was part of what I wanted to touch on also. So I'm going to come back to that. Our, Our main goal for this research project is how we can answer the question in terms of how can resources become more accessible, more available in specific communities, but we're going to say in all communities. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and the aim of our podcast as York University students is to build awareness mm-hmm. on the issue of domestic violence, how we can advocate, how we can help individuals and communities access these resources. I personally, with my team members, we spent quite a bit of time visiting your website. We were just, I would say, blown away by the type of work that Dr. Ra's Healing Place does, from frontline counseling to child and youth program to building opportunities for women, follow-up care, VI program, in-school program, cultural summer program. This is just to name a few. Yeah. But I want our listeners to hear it from you. Tell us now about the work you do, your organization, and what you can elaborate more on the resources that are available. Okay, so the work I do, I am not a typical executive director. I'm not an administrator. I identify myself as a healer. And I remember when I told 25 years ago, more than 25 now, I think it's almost 30 years ago, 
when I told a dear friend of mine that I was going to close my private practice and open a center for abused women and children, a place where they can heal their pain before going back to the world. Because we do know that violence is um, take a lifetime for it breaks your spirit and it damages your soul. And it takes a lifetime to heal. While the broken arm or the broken collarbone might take six, six to eight weeks to heal, the emotional pain lasts a lifetime. And it takes a long time. And people don't pay attention to that. They don't see that side of the healing. So I was determined to close my practice and to raise millions of dollars and to build this center alone, basically, independently. And because I was so driven that no right. one could stop me. It was hell. I'm a black woman. I bumped into all the racisms that came my way as I struggled to do this. I eventually got uh, funding from three levels of government that I spent time negotiating with and raised independently and built Dr. Rose's scene in place. We opened 25 years ago. Um, last year was 25 years since we've been functioning. So for me, Dr. Ross's healing place that you know of is just a drop in the ocean, a teardrop in the ocean. Right. We have a local component, which is based in the province. We have the national component, which is around Canada. And we have the international component, which is around the world. So in our work, we work towards the eradication of violence locally, nationally, and globally. So with that in mind, I tirelessly do work internationally and across the country. As you see last year, we hiked 400 kilometers across British Columbia to bring awareness to um, violence against women and children in the country. This year, mm -hmm. we are going to Atlantic Canada to cross on foot again another 400 kilometers to bring awareness to violence. So each year we go to a different part of a different part of Canada to raise our voices, to speak to any and everybody who want to speak to us, for me to break down any door I can to speak to decision makers and lawmakers and people in position of, of, of trust and to bring this awareness, to make it as public and as conscious as possible, to penetrate the psyche of the individual, of the family, of the community and of society at large. So the work at Dr. Rose's in place, what you see on the website, really speaks to the local component. All right, okay. But the international component, you hear nothing about, or you would hear it through the grapevine or so. So what we do. I have an organization in the Caribbean that is not funded by anyone but me and my friends. It's called Women's Lives Matter Too. And what I do for the last 30 years in the Caribbean is really work with government to put legislations in place to give support to women who are at risk of being killed. And in the last six or seven or eight years, maybe more, I've been bringing women out of the country and the Caribbean island and sponsoring them into Canada and help them get back on their feet to protect them from being murdered. I just had a family of four that lived in my house for the last six months and got housing last night and moved last night. From the Caribbean. Wow. So those are the pieces of work you would not hear about because it's not funded by the Ministry of Community Services. It's our own fundraising and our own efforts. So our work is vast. It's not, we're not a shelter. We are, we, I, I like my daughter said this morning, you're changing lives. You know, mm -hmm. when you're changing lives, you don't get tired because your, your universe gives you the energy to keep going, keep oh. going. And as I like, as I was saying to my daughter, I was speaking to my daughter and I was saying to her, you're a monk, I said to her, you're a mountain climber. Climb the mountain until you reach where you need to go. Those are the words I said to my child this morning. And that's me. I don't get tired. I'm a mountain climber. I'm a warrior. And um, so where to find resources? I am, I'm, I'm actually tired by just begging for money and pulling out application and send this and pulling out another one for funding. It's a, it's a fight. And I just decided over a few years ago to just do what I have to do with what I have and rely on who wants to step up and help because the process of resources and applying for funding and fighting for funding, it does not feel 
good all the time, the energy I put into other stuff. And I just, what I do. And, and for me, this is not a job. I do service work and I will do it until I die. There's no talk about when you're retiring, like what? This is not a job. This is what I was placed on this planet to do. And this is what I do until I can no longer do it. Right. Amazing work. And I know you say you do work on a local level, province level, internationally, globally. Um, is there any organizations that you work with along with Dr. Ra's Healing Place? Dr. Ra's Healing Place has over 400 partners. Okay. So we work as a, we actually work as advisors supporting other agencies. <laughs> you know, agencies would call me and say, how do you do this? How do you do that? How did you get there? How do you make this? How do and that's what I do. I give them insights and support and guidance and information and leave it to them to do what they do. Um, so we have about 400 partners. We work with everybody and anybody. You know, I um, about three or four weeks ago, I got this honor from the Tamil community. And I was quite surprised because the community talked about how much work Dr. Raz, not the healing place, Dr. Raz, because mm-hmm. volunteer work in communities. Um, that the work that Dr. Ross has done for the Tamil community in York region. And I was like, oh yeah, really? I forgot that, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> because you just do what you do. It's like. natural, yeah. 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 When you talk, while you were talking, just from the beginning of the podcast, before you even say, this is what I'm placed on here to do. It's like, even through conversation, I felt this is her purpose. You know, they say the purpose of life. I got that already from you. And it's just from the deep discussions. Um, So by the time you said you will do this till you die, I know that you've already... And you know, the thing about this, media had asked me once, why am I so passionate about the work I do? And you know, one would think, well, maybe Dr. Rose was being in an abusive situation before. And I would say to them, no. When I was a little girl in Trinidad, my father maybe spanked me a couple of times and they thought that was okay because it's cultural. You see this cultural energy that we walked and said, everything is cultural. <laughs> as a licks. child. You get licked as a child and they say, well, you know, it's cultural. Um, but as an adult, I've been married. My husband and my partner has been, I've been married for 44 years. Wow. My is my best friend. So to have this assignment with so much passion, one may think like, or maybe she could identify with it. She went through it. And hell no. And this is why it is so clear to me that this was my assignment. And this is why I'm so strong. This is why I'm so brave. This is why I'm tireless. This is why I don't stop. Because it was a scientist who's capable and able to do the work because they themselves don't get beaten down. Yeah. And it's important also, you are giving a purpose and an assignment, but you're partner your husband and your daughter and my they son have all, and your son <laughs> sorry <laughs> they have also son. been placed in this assignment to support you yeah and you guys work as a family so yeah. you know yeah. they have a and, saying and that's you know. true. that's true because my son is my 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 manager and he hustles to, you know he's a man and he hustles to find money for special projects and for the work we do all about women. My, you know, one would say my, your son is a feminist and people are afraid of the word, but our, the meaning of feminism first is equality rights for all. Now in your bio, you have worked with the three levels of government. Yes. So the government has played an important role. Yes. I just, so what and I they, want from you they is. Use an important role. Yes, they have. Yeah, it's important for us as not only just as individuals, but how do we advocate? How do we build community awareness? As you said, sometimes it's very tiring well, to keep ripening applications. Yeah. yeah. But community awareness, last five years, I made a conscious, conscious, conscious decision. I've been um, talking to government for many, almost 30 plus years about the importance of prevention and not just crisis, 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 and band-aids. 
I look at the economic, um, the cost of, of violence against women in this country, and it's billions of dollars that causes the government from, you know, that, that causes the government um, to, to help women when they come to emergency, the healthcare system, you know, the court system, it's money being spent. So I've been speaking to government. I, I actually had this conversation in the days of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and now his son is the prime minister of the country. I was a young nurse in Montreal when I had that mm -hmm. conversation in the 70s and basically said to the prime minister, if we don't do something about violence today, five years from now, the country will be permeated with violence. That was 1974, 75. I'm talking about, you know. I just, I, I just, 1975, I just born. I just, that, just came into book. That is what I mean. And look at the path today. <laughs> Because I asked government to put more funds and support into prevention, education. We are reaching out to school boards to build it in. We ran programs in the schools for about 16 years or more. Never got funded. Last few years, we got $60,000 from York Region Municipal. And, and the, the program itself cost us $250,000. We were running programs in school three, four times a day. We ran a summer camp for 100 un, um, less privileged kids for about 15 years, basically funded by me, my girlfriend, my husband, my daughter, my son, and, and my other girlfriend. Had 100 kids and had 12 to 14 counselors. And wow. everyone says, how nice you are, Dr. Russ, that's such good work. And who steps up and says, let me help you raise some money and let go to this program? So Sisters Calling is an educational piece, even if it's theater and dance, is the work of Sisters Calling, that production, is to penetrate the psyche of individuals, to reach a larger group, not just the same people who come to your conference every week, to a wider group of people, all people. Right. You know, ask me, what is my target group? I say, every living being on this planet is my target group. And when we talk about violence against women, everyone. There's no target group everyone, from young ones, so they can learn that violence is not the answer. And if they're living in a violent home and they see their dad beating up their mother or their sister, whoever, they know that's not okay. Education, education, education. So my work right now is really public education and community outreach. Not, it's not so much centered around the 33 women we get funding for from government. Right. Because 33 women is just a drop in the bucket. Right. I said I was going to come back to Sisters Calling, but I did mention to you before that I listened to a little piece of your podcast. I think I went on the most recent, uh, the, the most recent podcast. And you were actually talking about healing. And as a woman or as an individual, and I'll use myself, when we look in the mirror, we see the physical. Yeah. Right. We see features, we see, be it our, our weight. We, we first away, we think in order to heal ourselves, maybe I might say right now, I need to lose some weight. But I will be honest, I've been listening to some podcasts myself. I do come from, we come from the same island, Trinidad. And I, what I, you really touched on something that hit home for me. We experience different kinds of violence, sexual, physical, emotional, cyber. But one of the things as an individual or individuals who experience domestic violence, whether it's reported or not reported, is healing from within. And you talked about we need to go and go through the process of healing from within. And you talked about that with even your own clients coming to Dr. Ross is not just to get out, get housing, help find employment. It's about counseling. It's about how do you go through to heal oneself? And I know you've, you're one of your focuses or one of the many focuses is that healing with empowerment. I want to ask you, what has been your experience with your clients, especially for this process, especially people who have visited you? 
how has the experience been taking individuals through this healing process? And what are some of the things that you have suggested or you work with them with uh, during this process? Okay, so first of all, I don't need to reply That's my practice. I, I live in a world surrounded by women and children and men. But people reach out to me all the time. And I've spent a lot of time over the 40 plus years trying to understand women because I'm a, woman, a young woman. So I, I live in the world of who are we? And what is very clear is that women sometimes think or feel that their work on this planet is to take care of everyone else but themselves. To take, mm -hmm. care of the, to take care of the children, to take care of the dog, to take care of the community, to take and losing themselves in the process. So my message to sisters all the time when we do our healing circles, because I do a lot of private stuff with women in circles where we talk and we do empowering, which are not clients. I don't mm -hmm. work with clients. Um, so when we do the healing circles, my emphasis to women is always self-care. What are you doing for you? How do you really survive this hectic world you live in where you work, you have the kids, you have the husband, and their husband, you have the criticism, you have I'm fat and I'm ugly and I hate myself and all the, all the heavy stuff that goes around women. Right. And the, my message is this, this body that you just call fat, that's your container. That is not where you are. That's just the container that contains the self. And we have, which is inside of you, the emotional and the spiritual you. And you have to invest in taking care of the emotional and the spiritual you. Your body is your container. Your body has the least worth. But the power of you is inside of you, your spiritual you, your emotional you. That can either make you or break you. So when I speak to my circles and I speak in private work and I talk about the importance of self-care. And self-care does not mean going and putting on the nice weave and doing your nails. And, you know, that, that's not what self-care means. Right. That's official you. So the whole intention is to go into the deeper you. And that is how you, you'll recover. And that's how you'll heal. Because this shell, that, we, that which I call the container, like a garbage container, because we tend to put a lot of junk in it. Right the bigger you which is your emotional you and the spiritual you and that part of you don't see that we don't pay attention to but that's that's going to make you or break you so i you do a lot of work and as i said you know advocate for funding applications so before we wrap up we talked about anybody who's listening to this podcast so is going to listen um our team, we would like to learn more and yeah. be a part of Dr. Roz's Healing Place. I want you to tell our listeners out there for information or how they would like to get involved, be it volunteering, be it donating. Give our listeners some more information and how they can access information and how they, if they, and how they can become a part of Dr. Roz's Healing Place. Well, first of all, you can go on the website and you can see what we do because anyone who wants to get involved should really know what they get it into and how, how powerful it can change their lives. So the website is drrozeshealingplace.com and it's D-R-R-O-Z-S healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, place one word, dot com. For those who want to reach me in a more intimate way, um, you can reach me by 416 712-2911. That's direct. Or you can email me, Roz Roach, R-O-Z-R-O-A-C-H, at D-R-H-P dot C-A. Okay, thank you. And before we go, if there's one message today you would like to tell our listeners, go ahead. You owe it to yourself to be well. If you can take care of you, don't pretend to know how to take care of me or anyone else. The job begins with you. Self-care is important. You owe it to yourself to be well. Stay strong, stay safe, stay true, stay well. So Dr. Roz, this was impactful. 
knowledgeable. You are building our awareness as a team. And I know whoever will be listening to our podcast, from the teaching team to our listeners, we are going to reach. We are going to recognize. Somebody is going to listen and know that there is help. We want to thank you on behalf of our team members. We want to thank you for taking the time today to share this valuable information with us. We want to take the time and the moment to thank our listeners. Just a recap, Dr. Roz is the founder and executive director of Dr. Roz's Healing Place. Dr. Roz's Healing Place is located at 21 Brimley Road in Scarborough. And our goal today is to inform, create awareness, and let individuals understand you are not alone. Building awareness and how resources can be accessible and also remembering you are not alone. Reach out and we would like our listeners to know the resources and links to Dr. Ra's Healing Place and additional resources will be posted on our Instagram page, call back anytime, along with a transcript of this podcast episode. Dr. Ra's, on behalf of Ashnet and our group, we want to thank you for taking the time with us on discussing on our first podcast episode. And we ask our listeners to stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. Thank you again, Dr. Roz. It has been a pleasure. And we will look forward to meeting with you in some way before sisters we go. calling support we need. That's what I was going to say. For the sisters calling production, so please reach out. Let's see Thank how we can. You. Thank you. You're welcome.